0: Have your Bibles open. We're going to be uh, studying from verse 6 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. A revealed message. William Wilberforce is uh, a rightly celebrated uh, British politician from the 18th century. He was well known because of his work in the abolition of the British slave trade and Wilberforce came from a privileged background and uh, he was a very able young man. He became MP for Hull at the age of 21. And when he entered Parliament at that age, he was the youngest MP there. Uh, He went on to become MP for the whole of Yorkshire. And his aim, he was quite open about it, was to obtain personal success. Uh, He confided to a friend, My own distinction uh, was my darling object. Uh, And he was one of the the great leaders of society. He was a close friend of the Prime Minister of the day, William Pitt the Younger, uh, and their charm and their wit and their position made them greatly sought after uh, people to uh, adorn drawing rooms in polite society uh, in England at the time. So everything was absolutely uh, rosy in the garden, and then something happened in 1784 to radically change the life of William Wilberforce. He was touring Europe, and he was reading a book uh, which has been influential in a number of people's lives, uh, William Law's book, A Series Called to a Devout and Holy Life. And reading this book uh, made him realize that he had been defying God, and he needed to submit uh, to God and to trust in Jesus as his Savior. He became, in other words, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And just as with Tim Farron recently, uh, he had a crisis of conscience as to whether he could continue in politics. And he was a friend of John Newton, uh, the great preacher who had once been a slave trader himself, and was converted. Uh, He went and he asked John Newton, do you think I can be a Christian and also be in politics in Westminster? And Newton encouraged him to continue and to make a difference for Christ, which, uh, by God's grace, he was able to. Uh, But he was always keen, uh, after his conversion, he was always keen to introduce his friend, uh, William Pitt, the Prime Minister, uh, to his saviour. And in his day, there was a great preacher uh, in London by the name of Richard Cecil. And one day he had, William Pitt, agree to come along and hear Cecil preach. So he was really excited about this opportunity here. Uh, his friend was going to come and hear the great preacher of the day. And the two of them they indeed went along, and Richard Cecil was in powerful form. Uh, he proclaimed the, the glory of the cross, and there was a, a clear a summons to people to, to repent and to believe in Christ. And Willilbert force as, as any of us would be in these circumstances, was absolutely thrilled that uh, his friend had come on a day when, when Richard Cecil had preached the gospel so clearly. And he couldn't wait to ask him on the way, well, what did you think of that? And to his... Deep disappointment, uh, Pitt responded, My dear friend, I had not the faintest idea what that man was on about. He just, he didn't get it. To the one man, to the believer, this had been crystal clear, compelling preaching. And to the other, a man who was no intellectual slouch. It had gone right over his head, he hadn't understood uh, what was going on uh, in our passage this evening, we have some insight into what 's happening in these situations. all of us I'm sure, as we 've sought to to introduce our friends to jesus have had times when we 've been really crushed by disappointment that they didn 't get it the, the message seemed to be so clear, perhaps we ourselves thought we 'd explained the gospel really uh, clear and compellingly and There's a shrug of the shoulders and I just don't understand uh, what it is they're saying. Well, why is that? But it's not all bad news because we also hear uh, in this message why the Bible is our living book and what is happening when people uh, do come uh, to understand with their mind and follow with their wills and their heart. Paul speaks a lot uh, in uh, these verses about two kinds of wisdom, Uh, and he speaks about the wisdom of this world or of this age. And when he speaks of the wisdom of this age, the, the, the hint is that this age is passing. This is a passing age, and it's passing wisdom. It has its day. But what does he mean by the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of this age? Well, as we said last time, this is wisdom with man at the center. Man who thinks, or woman who thinks, he or she is able to, to make the final verdict. We are the judge of what's right and wrong. We can sit above God's word, if you like, and be the, the final arbiter. And typically, uh, people who rely on uh, this kind of man-centered pardon me, wisdom uh, will try to persuade their listeners by shows of power, uh, an appeal perhaps, uh, to being well-connected with people who think the same way. Or, in our day, it would be an appeal to the assured results of science or reason. Man-centred wisdom, the wisdom of this world. And Paul has rejected any reliance upon that kind of wisdom that exalts man and appeals to the power brokers, Of the world. Uh, Now does that mean then that because Paul has uh, made a break with the the wisdom that the world trades in, that he is content to do without uh, any exercise of our intellect? uh, Is he implying that he would be content with uh, coming uh, before breakfast with half a dozen contradictions? Uh, does he mean that we leave our brains at the door when we come to church because uh, the intellect has no place in Christian life? No, he doesn't mean that at all. Uh, he says in verse six, "We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, and the message of wisdom, which is different from the world's wisdom, is a wisdom which is rooted in." God's wise plan of redeeming the world through a crucified Saviour. A plan uh, which none but God could have prepared. A plan that man can grasp only by receiving what is given in Revelation. Uh, A plan that man can grasp only if he or she is willing to give up uh, this idea that we are the centre of our universe, that we are the judge, the final decision-maker as to what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. There is a Christian wisdom, Paul saying, and it is given by the Spirit of God. So, we're going to look now at the nature of this wisdom from God. Uh, and then, secondly, why it is it some people reject it? And thirdly, how it's received. What is this wisdom from God? What's it like? How does Paul describe it here? Well, it is a given revelation. God must take the initiative in revealing himself to us. Uh, in verse 7, uh, we, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So Paul is saying uh, this truth, this true truth is something which you could not discover by your unaided human intellect and reasoning. It's hidden from man. It's a, it's a mystery. It's something which has, been, has to be disclosed by God. And it's something which uh, wasn't accidentally discovered or unveiled, God had a plan uh, from before creation uh, for man's great benefit, for man's glory, to reveal this way of salvation, this wisdom from God. Now. It's important as we make our way through these verses, and you're going to have to uh, kind of think a fair bit tonight because it, I mean they're not uh, the simplest, not the simplest of sections. But Paul now includes others with himself. Did you notice in verse six there's a change from Paul speaking about I, from the first person singular to uh, the first person plural? It's we. Uh, We speak, we receive. So who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about uh, himself and others who are in this this relation to God in receiving revelation. He's talking about himself and the group of apostles that God would use for the writing of Scripture. And that becomes quite apparent, as we'll see uh, in these verses. Look at the nature of the wisdom that he's speaking about uh, from verse 9 to 11. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So Paul is claiming, he's making a really important, a very high claim here, claiming for himself and the other apostles that they have been given insight into something that is not obtainable by human reason. But the Spirit... Has revealed these things to them. And Paul uses an analogy, he uses a picture as to how this works. He says that only a person's own spirit knows what's going on in their mind. I'm looking out at you folk just now, and you are a closed book to me, really. Uh, You're looking as though you're attentive. But really, you might be thinking of that pizza that's coming up later on. Or you might be distracted by a a fly buzzing behind you. There might be a whole lot of things going on in your mind. And only your spirit knows what is going on in your mind. I don't know. But God's saying, as far as the things of God, the Spirit of God searches the mind of God the Father and knows the mind and communicates what he knows to the apostles. In fact, this is one of the the verses that you would turn to uh, to to prove the the person, the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Spirit has personal knowledge of God the Father, uh, just as we have person-to-person knowledge. Uh, So the the Spirit, uh, the divine person of the Holy Spirit Uh, knows the thoughts of the Father and communicates that to Paul and the apostles. So, what is given? Isn't the result of human reasoning or even guesswork? That's what Paul means in verse 12 when he says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So the Spirit is not just giving revelation, but the Spirit is giving understanding. Uh, why? What's significant? Well, Paul could have been saying that he got a revelation from God, and then he was left to work it out himself. And he would come to the conclusion, well, I'm pretty sure this is what this means. And... Uh, if I'm right here, and you know, I could be wrong, but if I'm right here, well, this is the application it would have to Christian living. Paul's not saying that. He's saying the Spirit that gave the revelation, gave understanding of the revelation. He wasn't left to figure things out. If Paul had been left to figure things out, then we would have had a Bible that uh, we could have had no confidence higher than our confidence in Paul's own human intellectual ability. But the Bible makes greater claims for itself than that. Paul is saying that the Spirit gave understanding of the very things that the Spirit spoke to Paul. So the apostles were given spirit-led understanding of the truths that they were given. But there's more even than that. We're talking about this the nature of God's revelation. There's more than that. Uh, When they passed on these truths, the apostles to whom the Holy Spirit spoke, the things of God, because he knows the mind of God, the Spirit not only gave understanding, the Spirit gave the very words to write. This is what we speak, uh, Paul says in verse 13, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Okay. Now, you might uh, or might not have come across uh, a phrase called verbal inspiration. What does that mean? It means that the very words of our Bibles have been inspired by God. Not just the general drift of our Bibles, um, and many times people who are trying to uh, adjust the teachings of the church to suit what's going on in the world around us uh, make a claim that uh, well it's the the core teachings of the bible that are authoritative for us well, Paul's telling us here that the very words were given by the spirit here is one of the one of the proofs for the fact that the words themselves have been given by inspiration of the Spirit. And clearly Paul is not speaking as an ordinary Christian. None of us could make a claim such as this. He's speaking as uh, one of the circle of apostles that were used to uh, be writers of new revelation. The words that he's given us uh, in the New Testament, the words that, that these other Uh, these other eight that we mentioned earlier on uh, were given by the Spirit of God and now find their place in the New Testament. And the wonderful thing is, as we were saying earlier to the children, God did this without making people robots. So that you can go to the the Gospel of John, and it's obvious to most people that John's Gospel uh, has got a very different author with different uh, style from the gospel that was penned by Matthew and their different interests, and we could talk about that if we wanted to, but God used people uh, with their own background, with their own experience, with their own giftedness, and under the, the divine prompting of the Holy Spirit brought about in the books of the New Testament that we have, the very words He had intended such as his omnipotent and all-wise providence. Now, that's hugely important, isn't it? Uh, it, it means that we can have confidence in this book. It means that we don't, uh, we don't fall prey to, to those who try to, to mislead the church and saying, well, you know, it's the, it, it's the kind of core message of the Bible that counts. It's the general drift of its teaching that binds us. No! It's the very letter, the very words that were given by the Spirit. And we can have confidence in the Bible because of that. But at the same uh, time, we have to yield our obedience uh, to the detail of the Word. Uh, At the end of of verse 13, there's a kind of complex uh, set of words. Paul tells us that uh, what he's spoken and has now been written was given in words not taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And you'll see at the bottom of the NIV, there's an alternative, uh, uh, expressing spiritual truths to spiritual men or people. And I think the, the NIV's got it right in the, 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 the main section. And what we, could, I mean, literally, it's saying something like this: we combine, compare, explain spiritual things with spiritual things. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God taught us the words to use to convey the revelation of Jesus, and we fit spiritual things to spiritual words so that there's a precise, there's a perfect correspondence between the revelation of Jesus Christ and the words on the page. By which we communicated to you, spiritual words are being used to express the spiritual truth. Simplify it right down. Here is a book that we can trust absolutely because God is speaking to us through it. These are the very words of God. Our subordinate standard uh, in, the, in the Free Church is the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. But before the Westminster Confession of Faith was written, uh, the Scottish Church had the Scots Confession, uh, which was uh, written uh, very, very quickly by John Knox and some of his, his contemporaries. And there are some magnificent uh, passages in it. And in the, uh, at the very beginning of the Scots Confession, uh, Knox says, If any man will note in our confession any chapter or sentence contrary to God's holy word, that it would please him of his gentleness and for Christian charity's sake to inform us of it in writing. And we, upon our honor, do promise him that by God's grace we shall give him satisfaction from the mouth of God, that is, from holy scripture, or else alter whatever he can prove to be wrong. See the the high doctrine of scripture that Knox had uh, in two ways. Uh, One, by the way in which he refers to the Bible as the very uh, mouthpiece of God, from Holy Scripture, uh, from the mouth of God. And also, secondly, his willingness uh, to change anything that they had written, believing them to be true, anything that they had written, if they could be shown from the Bible that it wasn't accurate. Bible is uh, the standard for God's people. So this is the way that our Bible came about. This is how God gave us revelation. Holy men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men like Paul and John and Matthew, Mark and Luke and James and Jude and Peter were moved by the Spirit They were given an understanding of what the Spirit said and were given the very words that God wanted uh, in the Scriptures. Why do some people not understand this revealed message? Well, uh, this is a really important thing for us to to grapple with and it's maybe not as obvious as we might think immediately. Look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it? Paul mentions rulers twice in this passage. Back in verse 6, he says, Not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So there's something about being a ruler that makes it difficult to understand God's word. What has being a ruler, got to do with not understanding the word of God. Well, what is typical about a ruler is that they are very much uh, their own person. They are not going to do anybody else's bidding unless compelled to. And understanding God's word goes hand in hand with our willingness to obey God's word. That's why Paul speaks here about the rulers of his word. Because they are are uh, people who are typically uh, the staunchest opponents of anybody else's rule coming over their lives. See, when you ask the question, does the unbeliever know God? I wonder what kind of uh, response would get, you know, what would your answer be to that? I'm not going to ask you but Does the unbeliever know God? You could answer... You know, none of us would get this wrong because uh, there's a sense in which the unbeliever does know God and yet he doesn't know God. Yeah? The unbeliever does know God because uh, Paul tells us in Romans 1, uh, he tells us, uh, verse 21, for though they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. And the whole point of what Paul goes on to say is that there's enough information out there we are bombarded by revelation from creation so that people are left without the excuse yes they know god and they often to worship him and so when the agnostic says i don't really know if there's a god or not you know what he's doing and he should be called out for it he's deceiving himself and perhaps wanting to deceive others because he knows quite well that there is a god The problem with the agnostic is he's not willing to obey the God who is there and who has forced his knowledge upon him. Uh, And if people will not obey God, they will not know God in the deeper sense that Paul's concerned about here. To know God in relationship, to walk as a friend of God, to be the kind of person that God reveals his ways to they will be like that other ruler we began with. They'll be like William Pitt leaving uh, Richard Cecil's sermon. Being unwilling to come under the yoke of Jesus, to come under his rule, they'll not be able to make head nor tail of what has been preached. Because understanding, as far as the Bible's concerned, isn't simply an intellectual thing, it's a moral thing matter as well. If you want to know if somebody knows God, then you don't set him an exam, but you watch his life. Knowledge for the Christian is a moral category. And so, Paul says, uh, the rulers of this age did not understand, because if they had not, they would not. And it's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Poignant but beautiful. The Lord of glory. What a lovely expression for our Savior, the Lord of glory. And yet at the same time, how, how brutal a thought that the, that the wise and the powerful, uh, they, they were filled with such uh, animosity and, and rejection that they crucified the Lord of glory. This is what uh, their flat refusal to obey him led to, led to them seeking to extinguish his life. And so the message of wisdom is for people who obey. Which again is the significance of uh, another kind of difficulty in verse 6. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Um, You know, we kind of scratch our heads, at least I did, when when I was uh, reading that. You know, what exactly is Paul saying here? The literal word is the perfect. well, the, the mature in the New Testament are, are people who are obedient and who are growing up through obedience. So Hebrews 5, verse 14, uh, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So a, a mature person, according to the writer to the Hebrews, is someone who is Uh, continually choosing to do the good rather than the bad, and by a a, a lifestyle of continual uh, seeking to please God, becomes more and more discriminating. And often in in the New Testament, you see that there's a connection between knowing God and obeying God. So if you're going to obey God, you need to know God. Uh, to obey God, you need to study the Bible to know what God requires. But equally importantly, uh, if you're going to increase in your knowledge of God, you've you've got to be obeying God. It's what we call a virtuous circle. Uh, The more you obey what you know, the more you will understand. And the more you're disobeying what you already know, what you know will be taken from you. You will become clouded in your understanding. Now, that's quite a serious uh, situation to, to confront. Here's an, an example of this kind of thing. Second Peter 1.5 For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. So, you obey, and you know more. You know more. You obey, you obey, and you grow in your knowledge, and it goes on, and it goes on. You'll not grow in your knowledge of God if you're not willing to obey him. So here's, we can step back at this point, and we can look at our hearts. What have you learned from uh, your Bible reading recently that had a clear implication for the way you live? What has God been saying to you in your personal devotions? And have you obeyed what was said? Have you put something into practice recently as a result of your reading of the Bible? Because what what God's Word is saying to us tonight is, if you're doing that, if, if that is the pattern of your your lifestyle, that you're obeying what you are reading, you will be somebody who is growing in their knowledge of God. But on the other hand, if you're not doing that, if you're if you're simply reading and putting your Bible away, and it's not making any impact in your life, guarantee it you will be coming duller as a Christian. You will actually be diminishing in your understanding of God's word. Okay, so going back to the beginning, the fundamental reason why people don't understand the message of wisdom from God isn't because they're not smart enough, but because they're disobedient. So we don't feel sorry for uh, people's situation because there isn't some uh, code code breaker out there that they haven't uh, been able to use. They are guilty before God because of an unwillingness to obey God. John, John Frame of Westminster points out that disobedience to God is a kind of lying. He says, when we disobey God, we testify to others and to ourselves that God's word is untrue. And he goes on disobedience also involves suppressing the truth, fighting its spread, opposing its application to your own life and the life of others. Sinners fight the truth. Knowledge is a moral matter, it's about obedience. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, praise God, there are those who receive uh, this message of wisdom from God. God has given revelation to Paul and the apostles. The Holy Spirit has inspired the very words of the New Testament scriptures. Uh, And although many don't obey and don't understand others, do why do some believe and obey the inspired words Paul says because the Holy Spirit comes and grants understanding sin uh, sin which is rejecting God's rule in our lives makes us uh, uh, blind as moles uh, it leads uh, to consistent deliberate misunderstanding and rejecting of the truth. Paul says, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A biblical example of this is Nicodemus, isn't it? Uh, you know, if, uh, we're, we're so familiar with uh, you know, John three sixteen 16 that sometimes we, we overlook the, the interplay that's going on between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, but Here comes Nicodemus, this rabbi, uh, uh, this teacher, this professor of theology uh, to Jesus. And he comes claiming to know something. Rabbi, he says, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. And Jesus uh, immediately uh, shoots him down and and tells him, uh, no one uh, can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. He's underlining Nicodemus's inability. And then, as though to prove what Jesus is saying is correct, Nicodemus uh, goes on into these ridiculous misunderstandings of what Jesus says. Can a man enter his mother's womb again and be born again? That sounds really stupid to us that he would even think that. But that's simply where Nicodemus is. At that moment in time, he's as blind as a mole. And yet, by God's grace, he comes to see and to to obey. And it's the same with with, uh, all of our friends who uh, don't understand yet what we are so desperate for them to to get and to to commit to. Because the Spirit of God has not yet uh, opened their eyes. They haven't had that that light bulb moment. That thing which makes evangelism such an exciting enterprise because God gives you the, the privilege of being there when people begin to get it, you know, and you see their eyes beginning to, to open wide and they begin to get a, a thrill for the word of God because the spirit of God is enlightening them when before there was only darkness. Now, as we close, just three quick points about what Paul says here. Again, uh, this is God's initiative. God takes uh, the, the, the first step in, in bringing that understanding. Uh, it's an act of sheer grace that God should come and should, as it were, turn the lights on. Uh, suddenly, from deep gloom, uh, we begin to see things uh, more and more clearly. And our, our life as Christians is one of, of increasing understanding until one day we're going to see things in that in, uh, HD clarity when we're in glory. And secondly, the Spirit not only gives us understanding, but that thing which goes with understanding gives a desire to obey. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, when he was describing his conversion, uh, spoke of uh, that new sweet taste of things that God had given to him. Uh, So there was a new inner delight in the law of God. And of course, Psalm 119 is, is uh, just sparkling with that, that sense of, of wanting to, to walk in the way of God and, and rejoicing in the commandments of God. Uh, so the spirit uh, who brings light also brings a desire to obey. And thirdly, <laughs> the world still doesn't understand what's going on. Verse 15, The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that the Christian uh, can't be held to account for doing anything wrong. It's not in that sense that uh, he is not under anyone's judgment. It simply means that the spiritual person is an enigma to the unbeliever. The unbeliever can't make you out, uh, can't figure you out, what on earth is going on? Uh, in the way you're living in the way you're thinking. So Paul in some, Paul has taught us that revelation, God's word to us, is given to the apostles, to the, the, the circle of, of Jesus' associates, so that every word is to be trusted. Every word, verbal inspiration. The word which was inspired by the Spirit is now brought to the the newly born-again individual so that understanding uh, takes place. Until the Spirit of God makes us new, we continue not to get it. Uh, And we grow in our understanding of this precious book, we put it into practice. Remember obedience of what we know leads on to deeper and more real knowledge, which in turn reveals how we must please God, and obeying God in these ways brings us to a deeper knowledge of God. Uh, There is no place for the armchair theologian. Uh, We are to be people who put into practice what we have learned. So, the application is plain, isn't it? Uh, You have a Bible. Read it avidly uh, each day. The sure formula uh, for shriveling up spiritually is to have a Bible that is not open between one Sunday and the next. But equally important is that we put into practice what God is saying to us. Uh, That not only is pleasing to God, but it deepens our understanding. Understanding is a moral category. Understanding grows as we obey what God has already said to us, what we already understand. Because if we don't, Jesus warns, what we have will be taken from us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessed privilege of having... Bibles. Uh, we think of uh, the, the courage uh, and the, the sacrifice that was uh, expended by uh, men and women of old, that we might have liberty tonight to gather uh, with the, the Scriptures in a language we understand, uh, able to respond with faith and obedience. And we pray, Lord, that it might be so. Uh, we have been given much. Help us, Lord. Uh, Not to be hearers only of the word, but doers also, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.